Hey, 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 Sunnies. I'm Katie Dahl, and this is Crying Behind Sunglasses, a mental health podcast for cool people. Welcome. Oh, oh man, it is August. We are still in this. I don't understand how. Well, I guess if you look at the news, then you understand day by day how it is happening. But if you had told me back in March that this is what our country would look like, I don't know if I would have believed you. Back then, we just had so much hope. You know, we really did. We thought, oh, this will blow over in a few weeks. And wow, now it's like, I feel lucky if I'll be able to go out and do normal people things by next year. Anyway, I don't mean to do a Debbie Downer. I'm here to lift you up. I'm here to make you laugh. And this, like I said, it's a mental health podcast. Um, I'm not a doctor. So quick disclaimer, this is not a substitute for therapy or medical advice. It's just purely to make you feel less alone. If you're going through depression, anxiety, OCD, whatever it is, I'm here for you. I've been there. I mean, listen, I had a full-on panic attack last week because everything just kind of came crashing down on me. I kept thinking about how the PUA, the extra bonus of the federal unemployment assistance is going away. And there's a lot of uncertainty happening right now. It's not easy to deal with. I can say that I'm definitely feeling better today. And the big reason for that is that I finally got back on my routine of working out and meditating and journaling in the mornings. I find that for me, if I'm able to keep that kind of routine in the mornings, then that makes my whole day so much better and so much easier. (laughs) But I guess this is just our new reality now, isn't it, guys? It just is. And if you're wondering about my level of quarantine currently, I actually bought a mosquito net jumpsuit to wear when I'm walking my dog. People think I'm insane (laughs) when they see me walking down the street, but I actually feel very smart because those mosquitoes are eating me alive. I think that's the next part of the apocalypse. They're just sending in the insects. So anyway, what else happened? Oh, that's right. So this week we had our first ever unmeetup that I hosted in partnership with the mental health nonprofit Stronger Than Stigma, and it went really well. So thank you to everyone who came out to our first ever Unmeetup. It was so awesome to connect with some new listeners and to feel like we're really making a difference in people's mental health during isolation. Definitely helped me for sure. And so we're going to continue doing that weekly for, I don't know, for a while, uh, with Stronger Than Stigma. So if you want to attend, it's going to be every Monday, 5 p.m. Pacific time, 8 p.m. Eastern. It's basically just a chill hangout for people with issues to talk about whatever they want. Safe space. Safe space, safe space, safe space. Uh, and, you know, basically, if you are tired of talking to your plant or your dog, then you can get some real people in real time and they can talk to you. You can talk to some people who really get it. And we don't stream it to Facebook or Instagram or anything. So anything that is said in there, it is not broadcast to anyone other than the cool peeps that are in the room. And we keep the link safe because you have to register on Eventbrite before you can even get the link. It doesn't matter. I don't want to make it seem more complicated than it is. Honestly, if you just go on cryingbehindpod.com or if you go to my Instagram at Katie Dahl or the Instagram for the podcast at cryingbehindpod, you will find all the info you need to be able to sign up and show up. And you don't even have to talk. You could literally turn off your camera, turn off your mic and just hang out. We're not even there to sell you anything or have any sort of agenda other than just friendship for people who are weirdos. So, yeah. Anyway, thank you, everyone who came. It was really cool. So, before I get into today's episode, I just want to let y'all know that 
We have a private Facebook support group. It's facebook.com slash group slash crying behind pod. And the conversations in there and the community in there has been really amazing. So if you're looking for something like that, definitely get in there. Uh, and as I said before, the Instagram, the Twitter, all that is at crime behind pod. And on the website, we have episode guides, mental health resources, links to things that I find interesting, etc. Cryingbehindpod.com. So as for today's episode, today, I am very excited that we have on the show Bonnie He. She is a very close friend of mine from the LA comedy community, and she has a funny web series called Darla Wang Dick Whisperer. I'm not going to tell you more <laughs> about what it is. Just look it up on YouTube. It's pretty great. And she's a writer. She's done clowning. And now that we're all in quarantine, as long as Trump doesn't cancel TikTok, she has started a very funny one called At A Bonnie Less. And I got the chance to talk with Bonnie about staying sane during isolation, how she got to do comedy as a part of the Yang Gang, if any of you remember Andrew Yang when he was running for president last year, as well as what it means to her to be an Asian American during the age of COVID-19. I don't want to spoil too much of the convo, but if you are looking for ways to be more creative, generate more ideas, not be afraid of failure, definitely keep listening. And disclaimer, this is recorded over Zoom, so please forgive any of the audio quality and also just... For me to be a little bit vulnerable and a little bit honest here, this was only the second ever remote interview that I did. So my interviewing skills perhaps were not as sharp as they are now. But honestly, who knows? Maybe, maybe I'm being too hard on myself and maybe I need to learn to let that go. So I just figured I'd be upfront with y'all so you know what to expect and you know what you're getting yourself into. So. Without further ado, please enjoy my conversation with Bonnie. It's interesting. I've noticed that in this um, isolation, the thing that's keeping me sane as well is having a routine. And it's much harder to have one if you don't have school or work or something even if it's not mm -hmm. somewhere that you're like you're virtually going to these things right but you have to be virtually in a place at a certain time right yeah and I, and I definitely and I I feel like I've seen a bunch of people saying they have like trouble sleeping and um I've actually had that issue before like a, about a year ago like I just started the last job I and it was like in a very like corporate office type thing. And I started having a lot of trouble sleeping about a couple of months in. And I think it's a parallel now. So I think, um, so after I got laid off, I was fine for the first week. I was like still maintaining that schedule because I wanted to keep myself on a schedule, not just like, oh, I can sleep in because I, I thought I would go crazy. About like a week and a half in, all of a sudden I couldn't sleep anymore. And I was like, whoa. I'm having the same problem everyone else is having. And I think it was the same problem I had last time, which is lack of sunshine and vitamin D. Aww. So I sort of like had this theory like, oh, you know, it's because I'm indoors like now 24 seven, as opposed to when I would go to work, the job I had was like an essential business. So I could at least go, go to the office. Like right. I drive there half an hour and drive home half an hour. So I would get like an hour of sunshine every day. Even though and it was just sunshine that came into your car. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Exactly. I was like, okay. So I sort of um, made a goal to like try to like take a walk every day. And literally like as soon as I started doing that, I started sleeping fine again. Wow. That's so interesting. Yeah. I think everybody's patterns are shifting and you have to kind of find ways of coping and find ways to take care of yourself that are different. I mean, for me, I, I already had a pretty regular meditation practice that I would meditate at least five or six days out of the week, but um, I didn't find it quite as necessary as I do now. And it, it, now I notice that like my meditation time has gone to more. I used to do five to 10 minutes. Now it's more like 15 or 20. Oh, and, yeah. and I find that if I don't do it in the morning, 
then my brain is completely scattered the rest of the day. Oh, that's interesting. So. It's, it's awesome that you discover that too. Yeah. Well, I just, I mean, trial and error, yeah. you kind yeah. of think you're like, why, why can't I focus on anything today? What did I do this morning? And then I kind of go through the list mm-hmm. and I realize that, oh, okay. Yep. Didn't meditate. I guess it does make a difference. You have to find, I think, what works for you. And yeah, for me, like I, I feel like for sure it's like the lack of sunshine and vitamin D. Like as soon as I started doing that, I feel, I mean, it's so hard. It's not like I sleep super well all the time. And the first two weeks of my job were only like part-time. So I could kind of like just be pick and choose when I wanted to work. And this is the week that I started full-time. So I think from this week on, it's going to be easier, even easier for me to like sleep because I have to get up by a certain time. And I, you know, and that's like going to help, uh, I think like solidify my schedule. I love it. I love it. I'm going to pivot. And I'm curious watching you develop and grow as an artist has been really cool. And I remember when you got into doing um, Catsby and clowning and doing your own show. And I'm just curious how that came to be and like how that developed your voice as an artist or what that journey was like for your brain. Cause I feel like clowning is perhaps the most confrontational form of theater. <laughs> and it seems really like you have to be very brave to do it. <laughs> when you say confrontational, what do you mean? You're really interacting with the audience, mm-hmm. you know, the like confrontational for you or the audience. Because you're, it's it's yeah. not supposed to be confrontational for the audience. If it is, oh. you're, no, no, no. For no, not, I guess confronting. Yeah. yeah, maybe I'm not right to saying this the right way, but I guess theoretically, because I haven't done clowning, and maybe I'm wrong about this. When I see, oh no, no, someone no do one it, knows. no one knows what it is. Yeah, when I see someone do it, whether it's you or other people, I'm always like, wow, the person who up there is so brave, <laughs> and I it might be confronting for me. Uh, as oh, I see, yeah. or creative to do that because you have to be so confident to be up there and um, kind of play with the audience in that way. Yeah, it's a it's definitely something that you develop for sure. Um, I'm like now trying to like remember my life before clowning. Um, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Can you? Is there a life before clowning? <laughs> No, it was pointless. Why did I even exist? Um, no, your questions are good. Yeah, so I joined Catsby, I think in 2014 or something. Um, and right around, or two, I don't remember when. So it was like 2013, 2014, I joined like the Catsby crew. And about that time, I remember in 2013, 2014, clowning was like the new in thing in the improv community. Um, and, uh, and I started improv in like 2009, I believe. So it was like the new it thing in an improv community. And it was like a buzzword and everyone was talking about it. Yeah. Uh, shout out to Chad Demiani and Juzo Yoshida. They were, you know, yes, doing that show for a very long time. Uh, and also good friends. <laughs> total, total pioneers. So as a way to give back to showrunners, like he would actually teach his showrunners um, clowning for free. Wow. And it was really cool because I would have never otherwise, you know, experienced it. <laughs> Wait, That's so one. just in case, cause I know Catsby's kind of like a very niche show that was at the clubhouse in LA for a really long time. Can mm-hmm. you, for someone who's never seen it or never experienced it, can you describe what the show was like? In its current iteration, it's like a hub for like weirdos and mostly like clowns. So we do have, we still have improv. Um, for a while, the last hour was sort of like all clowning stuff. Um, and then the, the the first hour was a variety show plus Jetso. And the second was um, we had like rotating hosts, like different people would sort of like host different hours and bring like their own sort of um, their own flavor to the show. Like we were very inclusive about letting different groups host like we ha- we've had like improv teams host we've had individuals host hours um just to diversify like our lineup and stuff um for a long time it's been um a a clowning hub so i got involved with catsby and because of that uh, i learned clowning through chad first when he offered uh, these free classes to showrunners and when i went the first time i went i was like 
this is the most amazing thing I've ever experienced. Like, why have I not gone before? But I can't tell you what it was. It was just something that was so liberating about clowning and the art form that I was like, this feels amazing. And I feel like UCB for sure has been like the backbone of my comedy training. Um, but, you know, like if if you sometimes like you can get to a point where you grind your gears for so long that you get stuck in this like, like, how do I make this funny? How do I make this funny? And it becomes very rigid. And like clowning has become like this very like freeing thing of like, you don't have to worry so much. There are rules, but you don't have to worry about like making sure it's accurate. The lack of structure or this freedom it sounds like it actually gave you more confidence to play. The whole philosophy of clowning is that it is so much about embracing failure. And that's such a weird thing, I think, as performers to accept or um, really indulge in. Because even with like improv, it's like if you bomb, you feel awful. And it's not that I you know, don't feel awful when I bomb, but it's like, there's this sort of philosophy that's like, well, you bomb, like what else can you do? So it's like a really interesting philosophy. And I feel like it's a good way to think about life. And I, and I think that when whatever comedy form you're doing, you sort of like adapt that philosophy for life. Cause I felt like when I started doing improv, the ideas of not being so precious about ideas um, that sort of like infused into me because as a writer, I was like super precious about my writing. I can never like really edit or I'd be like, I have to be right the first time. And with improv, I got the confidence of like, cause you know, you'll be on the back line. Someone will say something. You're like, Oh, I have uh, the perfect thing to jump in to, to talk to them. And then the, another person like says something too quickly and you're like, ah, what I said doesn't work anymore. You can't just be like, Oh, I want to, insert it. I mean, you can, but that would be bad improv. You kind of just have to let it go and be like, okay, well, the idea, it might have been good. It might not have been good, but um, that that time, that moment is over now. So I got to like, just let it go. And it's like that philosophy that I think it's like made me a better writer because it's like, I don't have to be so precious about things. I used to like keep every little thing and now I will delete whole paragraphs because like, well, if the idea was that good, it'll come back to me. And um, I have the confidence that I can generate new ideas. And so yeah. the, the clowning philosophy is very much like, you don't have to worry about failure so much. It's like, yes, if you are failing, the, the worst thing you can do is pretend like you're not, because that doesn't make the audience love you. The, the best thing to do is like, oh, fuck, I'm failing. Fuck. Okay. And they acknowledge it. And then for some reason, like when you acknowledge that the audience is like, okay, I'm back on board. Otherwise, you know, you've seen like bad improv shows where like, you're like, ah, and, and then your mind starts, starts drifting. Oh and yeah. No, listen, I've been in bad <laughs> improv shows. I, I Dude, we all have, we all have, we all have. <laughs> it happens. Cause yeah, the natural thing, like you're saying is uh, the ship is sinking. I don't want to go down with the ship. I'm going to keep trying. Yeah. Right? And that, I mean, and that's not a bad thing. I think it's just <laughs> like the uh, clowning is just a different philosophy. It's just like, hey, the ship is sinking. Hey, guys, the ship is sinking. <laughs> <laughs> it's just it's so much more fun. Like you can yeah. really like relish in that a lot more. I love that. No, you, you. It's interesting. I was thinking about when you were saying how it taught you to not be precious about your ideas, and that helped you with your writing. I was thinking about the abundance mentality and how that applies to ideas. And it's almost this kind of creative abundance that you have, right? Oh yeah. That's a good point. You're just like, Oh yeah. I don't need to hang on to this idea. There are so many other ideas that are going to come to me and they're going to be great also. So I don't need to hang on to this little thing. Like it's the last thing I'm ever going to think of in my life. And yeah. Beautiful. And it's a freeing feeling. Like you don't feel like, ah, I mean, and of course with anything like that, it takes practice. You know, it's not just going to happen overnight. When you feel that joy in what you're doing, the audience can tell that you're having fun and they yeah. want to be a part of that. Yes. And, yeah. Uh, but they just want to like go on that journey with you. And with uh, being a part of the Yang gang and doing all of that, I remember very vividly that you got your photo in the LA Times 
crowd surfing at Andrew Yang's rally dressed up as Andrew Yang. Um, yeah. <laughs> I'm just curious, like, how did that feel? Was that validating? Was it exciting? Like, how was it to be there? What was the energy there? Oh, man, this is, I've noticed in my own personal life, this is just an aside, that um, when something big changes with me, like a, a big fundamental change happens, I don't notice it right away. You know, because like you'll do something, you'll feel accomplished and you feel elated. But when something bigger than that happens, that's more long lasting. I find that over and over again, I almost feel nothing the next day. And then I feel nothing the next day. And I'm just like, wait, why don't I feel anything? And then it's like a subtle change that happens within me that I notice like months later. I'm like, oh, shit, that was the catalyst to me doing this now. So with that... Yeah. So with that, um, we were talking before we started recording about like luck being opportunity plus preparedness. Um, I, because I was so active in, in the volunteering of the Yang gang, um, I happened to be in like the zoom call that was talking about the rally. And, um, I actually pitched that idea to them. It was crazy because it was like back in September, but back in September, like most people hadn't even paid attention to any of the, um, the prim- the primaries yet. And I don't even know if it was, we hadn't even had our first primary debate by then because the rally was on September 30th, 2019. Um, so there weren't, I felt like there were a lot of volunteers, but maybe there wasn't. So I pitched this bit to them and then the guy, uh, this guy named Dougie, like who planned the rally basically was like, yeah, yeah, I love it. And I was like, almost felt like I had to be like, Oh, you know, like you can try. I've performed before. I've been in this short film with Maggie Gyllenhaal. Like I'm a professional and like, they didn't (laughs) care. I was like, okay. So that conversation was the Friday before the rally and the rally was on Monday. And so I was like freaking out because I'm like, shit, they're going to expect thousands, thousands of people at this rally. I've never performed for that big of a crowd. Like the, my solo show that I premiered, um, a terrible show for terrible people, uh, the year before, like I sold out at the Lyric and that was about like 60 people, but this is going to be like thousands. And it's not like a bit I've ever done before. So I just want a mental picture of like, okay, what were you wearing? How, what was the bit? What was weird about that time is because I think when you're, so I had never volunteered before and this is my first foray into politics at all. And everything was like a, a new learning experience. And I think there was this period of time where I started volunteering. I did not know how to be funny. Oh, because you were so serious all of a sudden. Um, I wasn't serious, but I just lost the capacity in my brain to make jokes suddenly. Mm-hmm. It was just the weirdest thing because I think I was just like experiencing something new. So then I I tried to uh, just, I wrote a script and the script was basically very insider jokes. Like they would only be funny to you if you had been following Andrew Yang and you were like the Yang gang. So it was like a very insider thing. Like it wasn't broad. It was like super, super specific. Well, seeing the picture was funny enough because I was like, she's in a suit with the mustache and she's basically doing drag kind of. Yeah. <laughs> I so thought it, I, you know, it's funny. I mean, it was fun. <laughs> um, I, I wish I had more time to prepare for that because obviously uh, I only got a chance to like rehearse it one time. In a perfect world, I w- wish I had more time. I wish I had like a week to do it every night before I went up, but I only had like a night. So, it, you know, like in my mind, uh, it was good. <laughs> But it was fun. Apparently, it was Um, good enough to get you on the LA Times. So I'm going to disagree. I I think it it comes (laughs) back to having a good time and having joy. Like, I was scared as fuck. And I don't know if I was good, but I was having fun. And so that was very apparent. Um, I think in the photo of just me being this 
dumbass. And the reason I had a mustache, because I was dr- supposed to dress up like Andrew Yang. The reason I had a mustache and Andrew Yang doesn't have a mustache is because, you know, like he he uh, had been getting like just really fucked over by the media a lot and they would keep saying his name wrong. It was like MSNBC or whatever it was called him John Yang. So because the Yang Yang lives on Twitter, like who is John Yang started trending and it's like everyone's making speculations of who John Yang was. And so that's why I was able to play this part because the guy that threw the rally was going to do something like put a poster up of like, oh, this is John Yang. He wants to give everybody a thousand and one dollars a month. (laughs) And so that's why I was like, hey, I have an idea. Instead of a poster that you have to make, I can play John Yang. So that's how that came about. And so I was, I, so basically like Andrew Yang had a very like iconic specific look, you know, he had his hair, he doesn't have a tie and he would always wear like a blue or white um, a shirt underneath like a blue blazer, a dark a navy blue blazer. And so I just had his element and uh, put on the mustache to make sure that people knew that I wasn't Andrew Yang, I was John Yang. Well, I said I didn't corrected. have a mustache. Yeah. I stand corrected because I, I I guess I didn't know all of that information. I thought you were dressed up as Andrew Yang and you threw on a mustache to make sure that everyone knew you weren't being a girl. But now, now I get it. <laughs> but I don't think you're wrong in assuming that because uh, the, the, the caption for my picture in the LA Times said Andrew Yang impersonator. Oh, okay. Um, like you, I mean, the backstory I'm telling you is like literally like only like a few gang gang people know like the diehard gang gang people like know what I'm talking about but for everyone else you know it's well, like they don't now, know that now more now, you know what we're getting the word out we are going to correct this we are going to write to the LA Times I'm going to send this podcast to the LA Times say, excuse <laughs> me I have a letter to the editor and I would like to tell you that Bonnie he was not impersonating yet Andrew Yang he she was impersonating John Yang and yeah who is not I was basically being not even a real well, he, well technically there are person? John Yangs. No, I but mean, like there's not a specific John Yang that they thought he was. They were just saying that because they were like because because they're like, oh, what's uh his name's John Yang. Yeah, they are expecting like that. So yeah. but that was fun. Um and afterwards I like just I had like a totally like cognitive like disconnection because I was like everybody hates me. That was terrible. Because I had fun, but I to be fairly honest, like, I didn't think it was, like, the best performance, because, like, sure. like I said, like, I wish I had more time to prepare. Um, so, in my mind, everyone hated me. And when I saw that picture, like, every single person in that picture was, like, smiling and having a good time. And I was like, I don't remember that whatsoever. But it was a good, I think, like, it was just a good picture because it showed everyone just having a blast. Yeah. Which great. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's it's interesting like you're saying our brains trick us so much like with mm-hmm. our memories, especially I don't know what it is. I, I forget. I feel like a therapist has explained this to me before and I don't remember what the explanation was, but for some reason our brains hang on to negative memories so much more uh than they do with positive ones. I'm not sure why that is. Um and it's crazy that like you can go through the same exact experience as someone else and you have completely different memories. Right. And like you're saying, you were so worried about not being prepared or I don't know, whatever your internal experience was that was happening that you didn't even register all these people smiling as they were passing you across the crowd and you're crowd surfing, right? Like you didn't register. Yeah. I, I did not register it. But to be fair, like, I mean, I did read some internet comments where like, ooh, that was cringy. And I was like, you're not wrong. <laughs> you're not wrong. <laughs> but, but most people were like nice and they, they, they enjoyed it. Um, I feel like I have to, my worldview is just like accepting that some people actually enjoy that. Because I'm like, I enjoyed it for the fact that like I got to do something crazy that I pitched. Um, but uh, in my like, t- I, I feel like I'm a, a person that like I generally know whether or not I put on a good performance. And in my opinion, that was not a good performance. Sure, and you might but be people correct. liked it. You, listen, yeah. you might be objectively correct, but the, the 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 difference is that a lot of those people probably had never met you or seen you perform, and so whatever your quote unquote worst performance is is probably much better than things they're used to seeing. So you know it's. 
I, I, and I love that you said that because I remember uh, back in the day when I was in boot camp, like I remember um, Eugene, like one of the teachers, and it's something I've never forgotten to this day, which is like, you have to keep practicing uh, until you get really, really good because you, you want to get to your A game, but you want to be so good. And sometimes we, we can't always have an A game, you know, sometimes like we just can't do yeah. our best show and that's fine. But you want to be so good or so prepared that even when you're having your B game, your B game is your A game. Mm. And I've never forgotten that. And I love that. I'm writing it's, that down. <laughs> I, it's, it's like, it's one of my favorite. It's just one of my favorite things to think about. It's like, you just have to keep going at it and you can always judge yourself harshly. And I think as artists, we do. Um, but but I feel like it's helped me objectively identify like, okay, I did not do a good show, but comparatively was the bad. No, like it's like you just kind of, cause your goalposts move, but you got to keep that in mind. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I realized I was going to bring this up and uh, kind of forgot about it. It's a weird topic, but we had kind of talked about it on our emails. Um, because you brought up Andrew Yang and all these Asians on Twitter and how you guys were uniting. And I'm curious to know, I know that you and I live in a liberal bubble in Los Angeles, but I've heard uh, across the country that because COVID-19 was called the Chinese virus and because mm-hmm. there's, there's been some racism or some bad things happening for the Asian American community. Uh, and I was just wondering if you can speak to that at all, because I, I heard from a, someone I know in Ohio, apparently that in her town, all the Chinese restaurants have been forced to close because people like yeah. And yeah. I know that that's not necessarily the case in Los Angeles, but I'm just wondering like if you've heard anything or experienced anything with yourself or your family. I feel bad to say this, but like I'm really lucky and I'm really privileged because I haven't really, I haven't personally experienced like anything. Like I'm, I'm very cognizant of it and I'm very aware that people that I know have seen things and have experienced things, but like, I feel like I'm more concerned about um, my parents, like experiencing like that discrimination, especially because they're older. And I feel like people who do shit like that will prey on people that they think are weaker and to like people who are older. So I'm, I'm worried about like my parents being um, targets of hate crimes for myself like I don't I mean yeah you're right we live in a bubble and um in general I know it's a weird topic and I, I it's you are very lucky in a way that like yeah we live in this place where um we're in a liberal city and also you're in the entertainment industry so most people yeah. who gravitate towards entertainment or the arts we tend to be uh, either mi- minorities or, uh, you know, different oppressed groups, I guess, uh, because we need to express ourselves. Right. Yeah. And so you find, we find a, a really nice community in that. And that's so nice, but it's, I know for me, like, obviously I cannot pretend to relate to that experience, but, uh, you know, I am Jewish and I am a woman. And when I see, um, anti-Semitism, it really gets my blood boiling. Or if I see like the wage gap, uh, that gets my blood boiling. So I was just curious if there was, I don't know, I didn't mean to like dig too deeply if there's nothing there. Where, where do your parents live? Um, I mean, my dad lives in the San Gabriel Valley. So I think that's, I mean, that's a a very highly concentrated Chinese Asian area. So Mm -hmm. he might be fine. And then my mom is, um, she's a domestic worker where she's in Vegas currently because the family that she works for, uh, they travel a lot. So they like, you know, bring her with them because they have lots of money. Uh Um, she's in Vegas. And so for the most part, I think she's fine. And I think the COVID cases in Vegas are actually like pretty low as well, except now they're opening up. So I don't know what's going to happen there. Yeah. I, I hope that yeah. they safe. I, I would say that the only thing I've been concerned about is like, cause I, I started thinking like, Oh man, like maybe this is a good time to like start like going on a jog or something in the morning. Like I would wear masks and stuff, but I was like, oh, I don't know if I would feel, and this is before even like the mask mandate. Like I was like, would I feel comfortable 
being on the street by myself as an Asian woman, like wearing a mask, like around, you know, because normally if I go out, like I'm with Bruce, my husband, who's uh, who's like, he's like, he's like white South African. So um, I don't usually run into any problems, but if I was by myself jogging, uh, I have thought about that. And it's sort of maybe like, oh, maybe I shouldn't do it. But I'm really lazy. So maybe it's just an excuse for me to like not go jogging. (laughs) I mean, also the case. It's a little bit of both, maybe. Who knows? You can't go jogging, Bonnie, because racism, you're right. I should just sleep in. Oh, no. (laughs) Please. Please don't do that. I mean, please sleep in if you feel like sleeping in, but not because of racism. That's terrible. Yeah. (laughs) That's no bueno. Um, Uh, Is it terrible that I'm laughing at this? No, you made a good joke. No, no. Okay. Because I'm really lazy. I don't, like, I'm exhausted from walking. Like, I'm like, is I this out of shape? Jesus Christ. Yeah, yeah. I walk, well... The thing is, I have a dog, which is a really great life hack if you yes, yes. walk a lot because she requires three to four walks a day. Uh, this is becoming a dog podcast now, so sorry. I, I actually, when I was going to start this podcast, I almost started a podcast that was also about dogs, but I was like, you know what? Whatever podcast I host, I'm going to end up talking about my dog, so it's fine. <laughs> That's fair. It's just like a little like side, uh, like little extra bit. I love it. <laughs> well, she, you know, I mean, to me, I've noticed cause I live alone and I don't know if I would be able to do that if I didn't have a dog because it's this companionship and this thing that forces you to get out of bed in the morning and forces you to have some sort of routine because she has a routine, right? Right. So it's like, she has to eat in the morning, she has to eat at night. And so even on the days that I don't feel like doing anything, I have to do things for her. So. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's like, it is like a life hack, especially for like right now. It's like, I, I think it's, it's, I mean, you know, like everyone's experiencing this pandemic in different ways. Um, like for sure, like I, I'm sure having like a dog helps a lot. <laughs> I don't have a dog, but. You don't have, yeah. Do you have any pets at all? No. Um, I mean, before this all happened, we were, we weren't working from home. It's like, we were just so busy. Like there was no time. Because yeah. Bruce works so often. Like, he works, like, hours. Like, he just works, like, a lot of overtime as well. Mm-hmm. So there's no... And then um, I wouldn't feel comfortable... Because I feel like if I got a dog, it would be, like, mostly on me. And I didn't grow up with pets. So it's, like, it'd be, like, a steep learning curve, I feel like. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I wanted more pets when I was a kid. But as I've gotten older, and because I haven't had any pets, like, the desire has, like, sort of, like, faded. You know, because when you're a kid, like, you always want a pet. And now that I'm older, I've never had one. I'm just like, it, the desire isn't like as strong as it was. So there you go. I don't really think about it. Yeah. I'm like, I'm, I've always, I grew up with dogs. And so I'm just very into it. And I think uh, I'll probably always have some sort of tiny dog in my life. And I've resigned myself to that. <laughs> She's very cute. She's Thank very you. Adorable. Yeah. Um, so I guess I want to kind of try to start wrapping up and, um, so it seems like you're bringing up this idea of finding joy and discovering joy. And is that something that you have been able to do easily throughout your life? Or is that something that you have to practice? Mm. And like how, I know it's a kind of a crazy question, but like, how do you do that? Or do you even think about it? Um, I guess I don't super think about it like in my day-to-day life. I mean, I, it's obviously something I think about a lot in performance and you know how you perform and the and what kind of comedy you've learned I think definitely feeds into the philosophy of your own life Mm -hmm. um I'm definitely more conscious of it in my own life it's kind of hard because I feel like finding joy is good but you can't be like up like 100% of the time no that's impossible sometimes to be challenging sometimes I'm just like fuck Things really suck right now. I don't feel like being joyful oh, or happy. You know what? Like I have journaled pretty much my own entire life. And um, it's just a practice I've, I've, been, I've been doing since like, I don't know, since I was like 10 or whatever. I, I have found that, and there's a period of time that I stopped journaling, but I started journaling again um, in the past few years. And I have found that 
because I've, I don't want to say no, because it's like, I feel like I have journaled and I know how to journal in a way that makes me feel good, that I have actually turned my journal into a place of joy and a safe space. Because there are times when I feel like shit and I can't get anything done. Like I have to now practice to remind myself that I need to journal because what I started noticing uh, in the last year is that I've cultivated this space for myself that when I'm feeling bad and I remember to journal, like I'll open up my journal and instantly I feel better. Yes. Like I've cre- I've literally have created my own space of joy. And so I instantly feel better. And it's like, sometimes then it's hard to journal because you're like, I opened this journal because I wanted to talk about how depressed I was, but now I feel better. So I don't know what to write about. Um, <laughs> but it's like a place where I can be honest with myself. And a lot of times I feel like my journal is my therapist because I'll figure out a problem or once I get it out of my system, I'll be like, Oh, the anxiety I had or the depression I had, I was holding on to it. And now that I've, you know, admitted it to somebody, to something, um, that feeling of anxiety goes away. And is it like a cure all? No, but I would say 90% of the time after I journal, I feel incredibly like a lot better. And sometimes just, you know, sometimes it could be more like philosophical ideas. And sometimes it's just there to like, keep me honest. Like I'll write in, it's like, all right, like I need to uh, film this thing. And I'm literally, I plan to do this today, but all I've been doing for the last four hours is been on social media. It probably means I'm trying to avoid it. And the minute I wrote that down, I suddenly got the urge to like actually do the thing I've been avoiding. Yeah, so, like, you're, you're preaching to the choir, by the way. I've been writing oh, good since I was maybe six or seven years old. Uh, and I actually had that same thought the other day where I was like, oh, I'm giving myself therapy by writing in this journal. That's basically Absolutely. what I'm doing. And yeah. it's it is like you're, you are holding yourself accountable for shit. Cause it's like things that you're too embarrassed to tell other people, but when you write it down, you're telling your journal. So you're like, Hey journal, yeah. I'm being dumb right now. And then you write it out and you read it and you go, Oh yeah, maybe that's not so good. <laughs> maybe I need to stop doing that thing. Um, yeah. It's like, it just gives you focus. Like, it, and it's funny because I feel like you can say that you can have the same thought in your head. It's like, Hey, I should stop doing this thing that I know is hurting me. And I actually am very clear with myself about what the consequences are. But the minute you write it down, you're able to change it. Like, I don't know what that is like, cause you have, it's, a, it's not a, a different thought. It's the same thought in your head. No, but it's a different way of processing information. I, I've actually, maybe that's what it is. It's, like if I'm memorizing lines for a script, for example, if I write all the lines down, it helps. Oh, I haven't tried that. I should try that. That's great. I mean, well, my, it, hey, take it. I, I wasn't the first person to think of it. The, the main way that I memorize actually what I'm trying to be fast is that I will record to a voice memo on my phone, the whole thing, mm-hmm. and I'll put on headphones and walk my dog and just keep playing it back and back and back and kind of lip sync to myself. Um or sometimes I'll just record, I'll record the other person's lines and I'll pretend that I'm Leonardo DiCaprio in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. <laughs> Do you remember how he would lay in his pool and just like... I haven't seen the movie, oh, actually. Okay, well, this does not spoil the movie, I promise you. Yeah. Leonardo okay. DiCaprio's character is a movie star, uh, although he's trying to get his career back, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and when he needs to memorize his lines, he lays in his pool in his, like, Hollywood Hills or Studio City Mansion and um, he has the other characters lines recorded on like some old stereo that's blasting out to his pool and he just has like a drink in his hand and he's like saying his other lines back drunkenly. Uh, That's hilarious. (laughs) Also um, fun fact if he has a pool it's probably uh, would you say Hollywood Hills and what was the other one? Probably Studio City like there's no room for a pool in Hollywood Hills let's be honest. True true but I mean someone needs to fact check this Uh, by the time this podcast comes out I'm going to find out where the once upon a time in Hollywood homes I mean I understand that most of the things were sets but like I want to know where the exteriors of these homes were because it was a cul-de-sac and like it looked real so who knows we're going to yeah 
<laughs> um, this is so fun. Yeah, I, I appreciate you coming on here. And yeah, um, like I said, uh, if you have anything that you want people to watch or do or anything. Uh, my, tic- my TikTok. I just joined TikTok and I love it. I love it so much. Uh, I don't know why. Like It's like the social media that I'm enjoying the most right now. Um, I don't know what it is. Like yeah. I find Instagram really hard because I think as the writer, I'm not, I don't process visual information as well as other people. Yes. Um, that's why I like Twitter a lot better. Like I love the idea of Instagram and like ha- looking at pretty things, but I just, it's hard for me to like make a post as opposed to like on Twitter, I'm much better at it. Mm-hmm. But I love TikTok. I love TikTok so much. I haven't, I've only made two videos, but like, I just love, I just like the platform. It's fun. I love that. Yeah. I was, um, I, I think that I've, I've resisted joining TikTok just because I'm overwhelmed with how much social media is already out there and just trying to keep up with it. And also I'm a very bad dancer. So I just, you know, you don't have to dance on TikTok. It's like mostly comedy videos. Honestly. Yeah, sure. No, listen, I might get there. <laughs> Maybe by the time this thing comes out, someone will convince me that I can contribute to the world. You don't need to. That. You're like killing it on Instagram. Like, you're really <laughs> fine. Ooh, thank <laughs> yeah, you. You're, you're getting like you. all these like, yes, your, your Instagram is great. Like I, I've been like following it and you're like, oh, like Katie's like doing her thing. Thank you. I, I feel like I've found my footing because it took me a really long time I think that especially doing this podcast has helped me to open up what my quote unquote brand is, which I hate that, but it is. Um, because before, because I was just basically known as an actress who also is a video editor and a filmmaker, the only brand I could think of was like, oh, there's this girl who works a lot and does everything. And that's exhausting. Like, that's not a fun thing to represent. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Uh, and now that I have this, I mean, I'm very passionate about mental health and I always have been, I've just been kind of shy about sharing my personal stories with it. Um, but now that I feel like I'm just leaning the fuck into it and saying, you know what, fuck it. This is something I'm passionate about. I'm going to share it and it's it. more of a path, you know? So I feel like yeah. I have a more of a theme because if there's no theme, the theme is just look at me. Here's a butt picture, that's, which that's is fine. I 100% am on the same page because I, I find like really hard about Instagram. Like, um, because it's like, I, yeah, I, I need, I am the same way. Like I need a theme. Like I need like a, a sort of like overall thing of like what I'm presenting. Yeah. Um, with, I feel like with, that's why Twitter is easier for me because it's like, oh, I've presented, I'm a comedian and I'm just writing funny shit like all the yes. time. Yes. See, I can't take and that pressure. I, I don't know why. I think it's because. I never wanted to be a stand-up comic as a child. I never thought of myself as like funny until after college. So not that I, I never thought of myself funny until I took my first UCB class in like oh, 2009. So okay. same. Well, there you go. Yeah. So I guess I, I've, I've embraced it just because I do think that my way of coping with all the dark shit in my life is to make jokes just naturally. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, anyway, I, I appreciate that. And I will take it. Um, and one last thing I just wanted to, before we end, um, just a little surprise question, just for fun, a little popcorn, I don't know, lightning round. It's, <laughs> don't worry. Uh, I don't know what to call it yet. We're, we're, we're workshopping it. If you have a, no, you have a name, let me know. No, uh, I want popcorn chicken. Yes. Okay, we're going to call it popcorn chicken. Okay, this is your popcorn <laughs> chicken question. Yes. So, um, is there, so if you're feeling bad and you want to cheer yourself up, is there a song or a food or an item in your house or something that's very specific to you that you use to cheer yourself up? There are no wrong answers. I think it just goes back to my journal. Like, I mean, I can, like, you know, I think many people, uh, like, eat stuff bad, but it's like a coping mechanism. It's not necessarily like something that's going to like bring you out of your feelings. Um, I, I mean, chocolate brings me out of my feelings. So I, I does it. You're very lucky. I, mean, <laughs> I, I used to, I used to, like chocolate used for me and now I don't like, it's weird. Like I don't, I still like it, but I don't like love it as much anymore. Um, I think it just goes back to my journal. Like if I, if it's not, cause if, cause there's, yeah, there's lots of things 
that you can do like like listening to music or eating that you can do when you're sad but I feel like that's just sort of like for me anyways it makes me just more, just I just accept it and it gets me more into my feelings whereas if you're actively because that's what your question was if there's something that actively makes me feel better yeah. when I'm sad it's just my journal I love that my, well, yeah, my so journal will make me feel better yeah so your, your popcorn chicken is your journal Yes, popcorn <laughs> chicken is my journal, and also popcorn chicken, and also fried chicken, and in general, I just I really want fried chicken. Right what's your now. What's your sauce like? Do you want dry or do you want buffalo? Do you dip it in ranch? What is, What's your deal? Um, I'm not gonna lie, like Popeyes uh, chicken sandwich is fucking amazing, but I think you have to go to a specific Popeyes because I've been to like two now, and the second one was not as good. So I, where I used to work, there was the Popeyes on. Sentinella and like close to La Brea and that was like phenomenal like I like like the first time I had their fried chicken sandwich after like all the hubbub like I took my first bite and I was like I would fucking kill I would fucking kill for this I would stab somebody I would absolutely stab somebody like this is the most amazing thing I've ever had um I think you just eat it as is because they already have the sauce in it but that's like KFC (laughs) So that's the ideal. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Well, um, thank you so much for that hot tip. I now yeah. also would like to eat some fried chicken. So maybe I'm going to go do Same. that. And yeah, thank you for talking. Uh, thank you so much for having me. And what an awesome thing you're doing. Oh, I appreciate it. Yeah. It's just part of my weird and wonderful world of Katie dolls is the next chapter. <laughs> you know what? This is the perfect time to like, Try new things, reinvent yourself, and, you know, I think this is perfect timing. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening. I hope that it made you feel a little bit less weird about whatever random shit life is throwing at you lately. Some of the details are in the description, but... You can check out the full episode guide on cryingbehindpod.com. It'll have a list of all the fun stuff and resources that we mentioned in the episode. Uh, You know, if you want to know more about the Yang Gang or you want to see that picture of Bonnie crowd surfing in the LA Times, that'll be in there. And if you want to hit me up, I am Katie Dahl at K-A-T-Y-D-O-L-L-E on all the things. And the Instagram, Twitter, and everything for the podcast are at Crying Behind Pod. Lots of fun, weird depression memes. We do weird, moody meme parties. So yeah, I guess that's all. Please subscribe, review, rate, share this with a friend who might enjoy it, or don't. I am not here to tell you what to do. I just hope that by listening to this, you feel a little bit better and you might laugh a little bit. Anyway, next time you're sad, just throw on your sunnies, take a walk outside, and remember, stay cool, stay present, stay sunny.